to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Today, I'm talking to New York Times bestselling author Lewis Howes. He's the host of one of the top podcasts in the world called The School of Greatness. He's written several bestselling books, including one that's also called The School of Greatness, and another one titled The Mask of Masculinity. His newest book, The Greatness Mindset, shares strategies for designing your best life. Today, he's talking about some of his favorite tools, tips, and exercises for turning your dreams into reality. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take and some of Lewis's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Lewis Howes on how to develop the greatness mindset. Lewis Howes, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Amy, thank you very much. Appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you about all sorts of things, but I just got a copy of your new book, The Greatness Mindset, and really enjoyed reading it. And I'm curious, you know, you talk about greatness in lots of different ways. Your podcast is about greatness. You have another book about greatness, The School of Greatness. You do a greatness event. How did like greatness become the thing that you decided you wanted to make your platform? Um, I think I used to always be obsessed with the idea of success, but I realized after 30 years of my life, that success didn't work for me. That success got me results. It got me accomplishments. It got me money. It got me, you know, credibility, but it didn't bring me a lot of peace at heart and fulfillment and joy and self-love. And it didn't, and it wasn't a sustainable motivator. I realized that success is a very selfish thing. There's nothing right or wrong, good or bad with that, but it was selfish in the pursuit of wanting to win, look good, be number one, and succeed. And when I realized about 10 years ago that I was just kind of been doing it all wrong, that I wanted to understand more about what greatness was. And to me, greatness is, is including your goals and dreams and succeeding, but making sure you're lifting everyone else up around you and being of service to something greater than just self something greater than me looking good or me winning or me you know, being a New York Times bestseller, but actually how can I drive for my goals and make sure that I'm empowering others around me, inspiring others around me and lifting them up in my journey. So for me, it's been a 10-year process of understanding the difference between success and greatness and how much more joy and peace and fulfillment comes with greatness over success. I'm glad you said that because I would imagine a lot of people listening might have thought greatness is about Achieving the next big thing, making a lot of money, having a lot of followers on social media or doing something incredibly amazing. But no. you argue that greatness could just be about being the greatest you can be in the position that you're in. I just, I mean, I just feel like uh, all the money in the world or all the success in the world doesn't matter if you don't have peace in your heart and if you don't have harmony and alignment with yourself. And I'm not saying that I don't have stressful moments and adversities and challenges that I face, but actually going to sleep peacefully, uh, waking up and having love and acceptance for who I am in the world and the direction I'm heading 
no matter what type of stress or chaos is going around me, having that type of harmony and alignment with who I am and a gratitude with an acceptance of everything I've been through to now and knowing, yes, I want to improve and yes, I want to grow and yes, I don't want to be complacent, but I also want to have harmony and integrity and alignment within me. And that typically manifests in beautiful ways outside of me when I'm able to do that. But if I manifest and attract and create everything abundantly on the outside, but I still don't feel enough on the inside, I don't feel like that's true greatness. I feel like it's, okay, you've been successful. And that's hard to do. It's hard to be successful. It's hard to accomplish. It's hard to build a business. It's hard to launch a book that you've done. It's hard to do a show or put your art out there. It's hard to express yourself creatively in the world in whatever endeavor you want to do as an athlete, artist, anything. That's hard. It's hard to succeed at a high level. But can you succeed and fully love and accept yourself? Can you succeed and have quality relationships around you? Can you succeed and stay healthy mentally and emotionally? And I think that's the difference between the two. And I think some people will say, well, why do I need to be great? How come I just can't be good and enjoy my good enough life? What do you say to that? Um, I think you can enjoy your your good enough life and your good life. I just think, um, I actually think that is great when you enjoy your life, you know, uh, and being okay with where you're at and accepting where you're at. If you're not accepting it, then there's something within you that's missing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very true. We did this episode with uh, Ronald Siegel and he's a Harvard professor, but his take was, his book is The Extraordinary Gift of Being Ordinary turned out to be one of our most popular episodes because I think our audience was like, oh, just gave some permission to say, okay, you you can still be like a good person. You can still go out there and do some cool things. But that pressure, sometimes I think people feel to like always be getting to the next level and they exhaust themselves. Yeah, I don't think it's about, you know, for me, it it's not about being extreme to get to the next level. It's about being aware of what season you're at currently and knowing that, the only way to continue to feel, I feel like a peaceful and grateful is that you are working on something, that you're developing and growing something. It doesn't mean you have to be extreme in your efforts of accomplishments, but I don't feel like having, I don't think having zero mission in life brings joy and fulfillment. I think contributing to society, contributing to the people in your life, being of service does that. And typically, if you want to be of service at the best level, You've got to learn to overcome certain things within yourself. You've got to learn to step beyond yourself and not just be okay isolating constantly. So uh, it's a yes and. Yeah, I think there's a balance, right? Self-improvement with self-acceptance and you can do both things at the same time. And one of the things you talk about early on in your book is about having a mission. And this is another thing. I think when we talk about having meaning or purpose in your life, sometimes people get anxious because they think, I'm not changing the world. I'm not out there doing any of these huge things. I'm just a accountant or I'm a stay-at-home parent. But you talk about a mission in, in a different way. Can you explain a little bit about your idea that we should all develop a meaningful mission? I, I just think in one sentence, we should know what we're, what direction we're heading into at this season of life. Again, I look at everything as a season. You know, when I was broke on my sister's couch, I don't know, 15 years ago, I didn't know what I wanted. So I was in a season of self-exploration, of discovery, of sadness, of, of you know, frustration. And that was the season I was in. And uh, a season of overcoming a lot. You know, what am I going to, how do I actually make a living? How do I get a job discovering who I really was? So I was in a season of kind of figuring things out. 
And all I could think of was how do I make enough money to get my own apartment and get off my sister's couch? Like, how do I make money, period, and get my own place so I can feel like I can take care of me? That was the, the, the mission for that season of life. I couldn't think beyond where I was at. I couldn't think beyond anything else of changing the world or curing cancer. That wasn't even in my thought. Um, but once I was able to accomplish that mission, then I had completed the season. And now, like sports, you know, the Super Bowl just happened. The season is finally over. Now people will get to evaluate and reflect on that season, that year, that time, that relationship, that career, that whatever, and say, okay, do I want to continue into a new season of this same mission? If not, then I'm going to explore it towards this season. Again, this could be in your relationship, your health journey, your finances, your career, whatever it might be. I know as an author, Amy, when you put out a, such a great book like you did, and you, you changed a lot of people's lives through essentially one article that became a phenom article that turned into a, a series of books. You could write a book and then you could say, well, do I want to write another book? This was really challenging. I know how hard it is to write a book. And you can ask yourself, is there a new season of this? And when you write a book, you're in a, you're in a season of first creating the idea, um, putting the other proposal, writing it, months of editing, then... Then the work actually begins after the hard work, which is launching and promoting and putting it out there. Then you got to ask yourself, do I want to keep doing this? Do I want to do another book? So it's just evaluating what season we're in and getting very, very clear on what feels meaningful to us. And I'm just a big believer that a one sentence, meaningful mission, if you can get clear on it, it'll give you more peace of mind under the stressful chaos that might be coming your way. I'm not saying this eliminates all pain and suffering. But it gives you clarity of where you're heading. And I think that clarity is powerful. I like that because a lot of times people will talk about having like a, a meaningful mission in life, not just in a season. And the truth is maybe your parent gets sick and you end up caring for them for six months or a year and whatever your mission was, it shifts, right? Or when you become a parent or you switch jobs, there are those times or maybe whatever's in front of you right now that you're working on might not be your mission five years mm -hmm. from now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So being aware of what season you're in. And the book you explained too, this really cool exercise about the perfect day itinerary. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, the goal is there's the goal is to work towards the perfect day. And again, there's there's really no such thing as a perfect day every single day. But I feel like if we can look back on our life and our memories, we can be like, man, that was a beautiful sunset. That was an amazing dinner I had with friends. That was a great morning experience that I went through when I went on this trip or at home one time with a friend or my partner. And that was a great work day. Like I, I was just in the flow, like things just clicked. And the goal would be to map out. Right, so if you can go in your mind visually and then almost emotionally, experientially as well in your body. And imagine what that day could look like, that perfect day. If you string in all these great memories from the past or you envision something you want to create and that becomes the experiential imagination of a perfect day. I just think it's getting clear on what that feels like, looks like, smells like, tastes like, and the experience is. Getting clear on that in your mind as a, as a dream, as a movie that you think about in your mind of what could be. Maybe you've experienced some of it, but you want to create it more frequently. And then drawing that out through words, through poetry, through an expression, writing it down on paper. What does it look like? 
describe it to me in detail and really describe it to yourself in detail what this looks like. If you can map that out from the moment you wake up, this is what I smell. This is what I experience. I, I wake up alone. I wake up with the person that I love the most. I, I open the window and I look at this. Like, what is the whole thing? Walk me through it from the moment you wake up to the moment you fall asleep to what you dream about at night when you're sleeping to how you feel. I feel rested. I feel energized. I feel excited. I feel courageous, whatever it might be. Um, I feel connected and present and loved and seen and, and uh, all these things. Writing it down of what the perfect day is. And then that's step one. Step two is then actually scheduling in all of these things in your day. So if you have a routine that you want to spend two hours in the morning where you wake up next to the person, you connect intimately, you have uh, you know, a cappuccino on the windowsill looking out of the nature, like actually schedule that and experience it. Don't just wake up on autopilot or go through the day on autopilot, like create the perfect day itinerary and live it as frequently as possible. And when you schedule these things based on a visual representation of an experience you want to have, you're more likely to create those moments more frequently. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be breakdowns and challenges and adversity that happens. And you may not be able to do it every single day. But if you can do some of it every day, it's a beautiful experience. And I don't know, if, Amy, if this was something that you ever dreamed about of you know, living on a sailboat and traveling around and being in the ocean and experiencing life with freedom and being able to pull up the anchor at any moment and sail away and go to a new town or just be in the ocean for three days and catch my own food and wake up with epic sunsets or sunrises. I don't know if that's something you ever dreamed of and if you're creating it right now because of it, but it probably didn't happen by accident. You probably didn't just say, well, maybe I just think I want to do this today and try it out. You probably had some imagination about it. And I think a lot of us do things on autopilot as opposed to by design. And I think this helps us design emotionally, mentally, and then also schedule practically the actions we're going to take to create that experience. And it sounds so simple on the surface, doesn't it? Like, yeah, just write down what you think you would do. And yet most of us never take the time to do that. And we get so passive about where our time goes, how we spend it. And before you know, one year goes by, 10 years go by. And if you're not active about it, you'll never make those things happen. So I love that you included that in your book about looking ahead. And then you also include the other one where you look back is to think about mm -hmm. your obituary and more like at the end of your life, what do you want to look back on, right? I think it's important to look back on it. And I and this is something I reflect on frequently because I, I, I like to think I live a pretty urgent life in terms of I'm present and peaceful and aware in the days, but I'm also urgent in my desires and my dreams of at least trying them and putting them out there and being okay if they fail, but, but putting them out there. And part of me really wants to reflect on like, if it is over tomorrow for me or today for me, which I hope I live a very long, healthy life. It's my intention. But if it is over today, you know, looking back from where I am to today, am I proud of how I showed up with, you know, the, the important people in my life that I really show up? And am I proud of how I show up to people that I'm, I'm not that close with the people that I, I've seen once in my life, strangers or people I've collaborated once in a while. Am I proud of how I showed up? And could I be at peace knowing that I, I was of service to people and I was generous with my energy, my presence, my thoughtfulness, my appreciation. 
and looking back on that. So for me, I want to I want to look forward to that experience and know that you know what I did the best with where I'm at and make sure I'm doing it now, not waiting to do it later. Yeah, it seems morbid to do that, but I think it's a great exercise to do because it makes your value suddenly become crystal clear, right? And then thinking, am I really prioritizing where I want to spend my time and who I want to spend it with or not? Exactly. So another thing you talk a lot in the book that I really liked was about overcoming fear, specifically the fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. And this one, I think a lot of us think, oh, I don't really care what other people think. But then when it boils right down to it, like, of course we do. And we're afraid that people are going to judge us or think that we're weird or think that we're not good enough. Or if we tell them, hey, I have this plan, they might laugh at us. How do we work on that? This was my biggest fear. It took me the longest to overcome. And it's a constant journey and practice. You know, it's not like I'm a perfect human being and I figured this out. But it's a constant journey and practice of applying you know, for a long time, I used to be a people pleaser and just want to please everyone, make sure everyone liked me. And that would cause me to give in sometimes of who I actually was or the things I wanted to do in order to have other people be okay with me. And in that process, I would abandon who I was or abandon what I really wanted to do. So I was actually inauthentic to myself when I would only do things to please others so that they would like or that they wouldn't not like me. I think it was more the fear of people not liking me than actually liking me. And when I've started to practice that over the last few years, it's a challenging thing because you've got to learn how to fully accept and be okay with who you are and love time with yourself, no matter what people say about you. And you've got to make sure that you have a really core group of friends or family that appreciate and love you for who you are um, and not just needing to please them also. Because if people are constantly getting upset at you and you don't feel like you have a strong relationship with self or a few other good people, then you are going to be walking on eggshells and giving in to others. So this was one of the hardest things for me to do. And it was also why it was hard for a while, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I couldn't take criticism online until I learned how to like overcome that, that process of the fear of judgment, because I was so worried about everyone would say about my work or my message and negative reviews that I had to defend myself a lot as opposed to just say, okay, that's just someone's opinion and it doesn't define who I am. But so often we take the opinions or the critiques or the criticisms of others about who we are. And it really isn't. Uh, It's about their expression of you, their interpretation of you, or maybe something they're going through personally that they want to get out because they see something in you they don't like about themselves. And the more we take these things personally, the more it just holds us back from our gifts and putting ourselves out there. So it's really a process of overcoming the need to be liked, overcoming our ego of needing people to to see us in a perfect way and knowing we are not for everyone and that's okay. And when we can accept that, we set ourselves free. Yes, absolutely. I don't know if you've ever challenged with that, Amy. Oh, yeah. And, you know, even as I was writing books about mental strength, I lived on a boat. But by then I started doing speaking engagements and I would be on TV and I thought, I'm not going to tell anybody I live on a boat. I hid it for a couple of years. And uh, yes, because I thought people are going to think like you're not really like this business person or you don't really know what you're doing. You're like living on a boat in the middle, bobbing around in the middle of the ocean. And so um, 
a James Altucher outed me once and said, hey, she lives on a boat. And all these people came out and said, hey, that's really cool. And I was like, is it? <laughs> and I had sort of convinced myself, like, well, it's not my fear of what people are going to think, but it's the truth that other people are going to th- not take me seriously if they yeah. think I live on a boat. So I'd sort of convinced myself that it wasn't my fear of judgment. It was that I was actually going to be judged and it would hurt my career. Obviously, mm-hmm. didn't. now I brag about the fact that we podcast from a from a sailboat, but I think it's easy sometimes to convince ourselves that it's not our fear. It's just that it's a reality. Other people aren't going to accept me. So therefore, I, I won't put it out there. And when we, when we fear so much that we won't be accepted by others, we typically don't accept ourselves. Right. But if we accept ourselves fully, which took me you know decades for me to learn this the hard way and through lots of pain and suffering, uh, when I learned to accept, well, this is who I am. And if I can't accept myself because I'm so worried about fitting in or belonging to others, it means I don't belong or fit into myself. And that's the root that I need to focus on. That's the root cause of me doubting myself, causing this fear of judgment. And so let me work on not trying to belong and fit into others and be accepted, but actually accepting myself fully. And that takes, I think that takes the most courage to accept yourself for your shortcomings, your mistakes, your flaws, your insecurities, all of it. And say, you know what? I'm still okay with who I am. Maybe I didn't like certain things, or maybe I'm upset about certain things from the past, but I can learn to accept, forgive, and move on and, and be at peace with who I am. And if I'm not happy with who I am, what am I going to do to improve upon that? You know, what decisions or habits or behaviors do I want to improve upon where I would be proud of myself? And so, again, we don't need to beat ourselves up and constantly be a self-critic, but be a positive self-coach. And just focus on the improvement and the growth and how far we've come, not how far we're yet to go. And you also talk about healing the past a lot in this book, about going backwards sometimes to say, all right, there's this thing that I haven't worked through or that I have to. And you talk about it in your other books too, like The Mask of Masculinity. You share more about your story, but how do we heal the past is always a question. I'm a therapist. So people come into my Mm. office and say, I don't want to talk about my childhood. Do I have to? Sometimes it's really something that happened when you were seven years old and you got made fun of on the bus or something like that. And we do have to go there in order for people to figure out, well, here's why I still carry this belief around. But can you just talk a little bit about your thoughts on healing the past? Well, our emotions are a byproduct of our memories of the past, of our experiences. All the experiences we've had are stored in memories, as you know. And they are a byproduct of why we become emotional in certain situations, because there is a memory associated to a feeling that causes us to be triggered and respond or react in certain ways. So if we are reactive or triggered or our nervous system gets heightened because we get cut off on the road or because someone doesn't text us back after a day or because someone said something nasty to us online, then there is a wound, as you know, that is yet to be mended. And so every time, if if we have a wound open for 20 years and it just gets poked constantly, it's going to be hurting. There's going to be a pain. There's going to be some type of irritation, inflammation, stress that doesn't need to be there. And so we've got to face ourselves as simple as that. I mean, it's a simple concept, but hard to do. We've got to be willing to face anything that is still wounded within us. And here's the thing, for so long, I didn't think I had any wounds because I didn't want to acknowledge them or face them. And I just wanted to push them off. I just wanted to play through, you know, uh, the brokenness in my life. I just wanted to go beyond it and not think about it or address it. 
And that worked to get me success and results, but it didn't work to make me feel celebrated, seen, or enough internally. And so it didn't matter how much I created on the outside, I still didn't feel what I needed on the inside. And I was still very reactive and angry and upset for a long time. And it wasn't until I was willing to face it through, you know, I feel like it took me a lot longer than most people. I, I sometimes learn slower than most of the world. Uh, I had to make a lot of mistakes over and over again and feel a lot of pain and suffering internally until I was willing to go all in and face it. And I think when we have the most, the biggest breakdowns is sometimes when we say, okay, I'm done feeling this way once and for all, like it's now ready to go all in on this. But facing ourselves in whatever ways that is, whether that's therapy or workshops or meditation retreats or different ways that we can physically and emotionally process and release the past pain and create new meaning around those memories. And I think, again, we are, our personality is a collection of the memories and the meaning we develop based on those memories. And our personal, uh, our personality becomes our personal reality, as Dr. Joe Dispenza says. And so if we are a personality that is triggered and wounded and fearful, then that becomes our environment and our personal reality in, in our life. And if we want to change our personal reality, we must learn to change the old way that no longer supports us in what we want. So that's healing, that's mending, that's forgiveness, that's finding peace with the past in whatever ways and processes that work for you. And again, I've done, I've done lots of different modalities and they all work for different people. But figuring out what works for you is the key. And can I ask what did work for you? It all worked. I mean, it yeah. all worked in seasons and different stages, but it really kind of started 10 years ago. Um, but I've done, you know, I have an emotional coach that I see almost every two weeks now for the last two years. That's been extremely effective, but it's worked not because I show up somewhere and have a coach. It works because I say, give me all the feedback possible to set me free. Put me through any exercise you want me to go through. I will sit here and open up for as long as you want. Give me more. I'm like, I'm like a maniac in these sessions. Cause I'm like, I will break down anything. I will go anywhere. I will process anything. I will share anything. I will be vulnerable about everything. I will cry. I will laugh. I will scream. I'll punch a pillow. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll, I'll you know, crawl in the fetal position if you tell me to do it. Whatever. I'm like game to go there physically, mentally, and spiritually, and emotionally to create and sustain inner peace and harmony. And so it's not just saying, well, I go to therapist once a month and you know, I just talk about these things every now and then. I don't think that will be as effective as if you say, I'm going to do this workshop and go all in. And then realize that healing is a journey. It's not a, a three-day experience or a two-week retreat and meditation retreat in India. That opens the portal, but life happens. And if you're not applying practically on a continual daily basis, the lessons you've learned, and you're not integrating daily, week after week, month after month, year after year, you will fall back into old pattern. You will fall back into the old personality that you built up for decades. So this is a daily practice of integrating the lessons into life when the triggers arise again, because the trigger will come, it will wound, it'll feel like, oh, there's a wound. I don't like that. Okay, what is the lesson I learned? What is the practice? What do I would need to remember? remember this about myself, I'm forgiving, I'm, I'm peaceful, and, and applying it in the wounded moments. Most people are not willing to stay consistent in that. And that's why I feel like having an emotional coach 
just guides me and supports me to take on the pressures and the weight of the responsibilities of life while being peaceful at the same time. So it is having the the awakening, the opening, the pathway, the experience, the event, the retreat, whatever it is, and then the the consistent application with support from someone. I just think it's hard to do it on your own. And to if you truly want to stay on top of emotional freedom, I think it's challenging to do it on your own if you're in a busy work environment or busy world. Um, it's possible, but if you've struggled with it, I think having support helps you. So two huge takeaways from that, I think, are not to confuse our outer success with being healed, because I think sometimes we look at people and we think, look how successful they are. Obviously, they don't have any problems, but that's different, your outer success compared to your inner peace. And another one is knowing that it's a process. Like sometimes somebody will go to therapy for six months and then say, close the book on that. It's never going to be an issue again. Or they go to a weekend retreat and say, nailed it. No problems. Great. Everything is so much. Yeah, but things come back. And I'm glad that you said that. So last thing to talk about is sort of what you just mentioned about enlisting support. Because somebody might say, well, the path to greatness is really what I'm going to do all on my own. You make it clear in your book, we need other people to help us along the way. Yeah, good luck. I don't think the greatest athletes, you know, <laughs> LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and all these great athletes, when they got to their first championship with great coaching, they didn't say, thanks, coach. I think I'm done. Like, I'm going to do this next year on my own and I'm going to win a world championship again without a coach. They actually said, all right, my coaches helped me get here. I need to hire more specialists, more coaches to keep me at the top so that I don't fall back down. Even then, it doesn't guarantee you the results you want, but it supports you in having feedback and accountability and seeing your blind spots and pushing you beyond what you're capable of. Because I can go to the gym and work out it, you know, extremely hard one day uh, with the best of them. You know, On a great day when I'm feeling energized, like I can train with the best of them. I can have an amazing workout. But what about on a bad day? when I don't feel energized and I don't feel excited and I, and I feel like, uh, I need more time and rest in between. If I had a coach, they would be able to push me just a little bit harder and hold me accountable. So I can do it every once in a while on my own, but just having support or accountability or someone helps me push a little more. And that's what the great athletes do. They don't just say, Oh, I figured it out on my own. Let me just coach myself this next season. No, they look for better coaching. I love that idea. So whether somebody finds a professional or you just get friends and family who are supportive, people who understand, right? Exactly. Well, Lewis House, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. I hope all of our listeners go get a copy of your book, The Greatness Mindset, and learn more about all of the things that you do and the wisdom that you share because your book's full of some pretty cool exercises and um, some really good stories from people. So thank you for sharing it. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate you. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the episode where I'll give you my take on Lewis's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that Lewis discussed. Number one, create your ideal day. This is a simple exercise, but it could be really powerful. Spend some time thinking about how you'd spend your time during an ideal day. Who would you spend it with? What would you be doing? Then think about how that compares to an actual day in your life and see if there are some things from your ideal day you can incorporate into your everyday life. I really like that Lewis shared this exercise. You can get more details about it in his book, 
and some other exercises that will help you figure this out as well. But so often, we get somewhat passive about our time, and we don't create the experiences that we want, or we don't prioritize the things that we think are important. And then sometimes before you know it, years have passed, and you still haven't done the things that you wanted to do. We get so caught up in the day-to-day stuff that we don't take the time to zoom out and really examine our lives from a larger perspective. So spend some time thinking about what your ideal day would look like. Write it down. And then see if there are some changes you want to make to incorporate more of your ideal day into your actual days. Number two, work on accepting yourself, not being accepted by other people. Lewis talked about how a greatness mindset isn't necessarily about accomplishing huge things, but instead it might be more about having inner peace. And you can't have inner peace if you're consumed with trying to keep up a certain image or if you're constantly worried about other people judging you. So he challenges people to work on self-acceptance and to take a closer look at their emotional responses when they get criticism. Of course, that's easier said than done if you're someone who spent your whole life worrying about how other people think about you. But letting go of your worries is actually quite freeing. In my therapy office, sometimes we develop real-life challenges for people to start doing things that could mess up their image in some small ways at first. Like someone might purposely post a picture of themselves on social media that isn't flattering. Or they might send an email with some typos in it. Or they might share a mistake with their friends just to see what would happen. And never has it turned out to be as bad as they expected it to be. In fact, sometimes when people challenge themselves like this, they'll come back into the office and say, you know, in a strange way, I feel like people might even like me more because now they know I'm not perfect. So look for ways in your own life that you can work on practicing self-acceptance so that you can worry less about whether other people accept you. And number three, develop a mission for this season in your life. I was really grateful that Lewis talked about having a mission just for this season in your life and how that mission might change as other areas of your life change. That's great because most people don't actually create a giant mission that involves saving the planet or donating millions of dollars to charity. Instead, a more realistic one might be to be the best person you can be to your friends. Or maybe you just want to spread some joy in your workplace. There's research that shows people who see themselves as part of a bigger mission have happier lives. For example, in one study, the janitors at a school who see their duty as keeping the school clean so that the kids can learn tended to be way happier than the janitors who only looked at their jobs as a task, like sweeping the floor. So think about what your mission is or how you're part of something bigger. And you might develop a completely different mindset when it comes to your life. So those are three of Lewis's strategies that I highly recommend. Write down what your ideal day looks like and incorporate some of those strategies into your life. Work on accepting yourself, not being accepted by everyone else. And develop a mission for this season of your life. To hear more of Lewis's strategies, pick up a copy of his book, The Greatness Mindset. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.